ESPN College Football Podcast, hosted by Paul Feinbaum and Matt Barry. We have embarked on the month of November, first weekend in November of the college football season. As always, Paul Feinbaum, Matt Barry, ESPN College Football Podcast. It's my favorite day of the week because we're coming out of another college football Saturday, another bizarre College Football Saturday will touch on all the big stories, including writing the headline of the following week. Paul, I say it every year, and I think I've said it every year since 2014. I cannot figure out why when they released the college football playoff rankings, the first ones, the first edition on that Tuesday night, that people yell, scream, cry, bash the committee, bash Reese Davis, bash Kirk Herbstreet, yell at Joey Galloway, this team's too high, this team's too low, this team doesn't belong. Why we get so fired up when the following Saturday people just lay out and wait, answers will be provided. Well, it's good and bad. It, it's, it, it's, it's really why the CFP reveal show starts as early as it does, Matt, because it's a, it's a, gener- it's a, it's a conversation generator and you're right. I had a, I, had a, I, I, I mean, it wasn't just the fans, but the commissioner of the American, Mike Oresco, really was embarrassing with, you know, his accusations that's a P5 invitational. Hey, that's okay after the final one, but you don't know what's going to happen. I just think uh, the, the histrionics were over the top. Uh, the, the campaigning for Cincinnati was embarrassing, and, it, and they, they really got it stuffed down their throat uh, by, by Cincinnati's performance. But ultimately, I had an Alabama friend of mine text me uh, on Sunday morning, Matt, and said, I'm so worried about where Alabama is going to be ranked next week. I'm like going, like, you're playing the number one team in the country, hopefully, uh, down the stretch. Why worry about these things? Right. But we're, that, we're, we're conditioned, though, to obsess and overreact. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Podcasts like this are, are part of the conversation. Social media, ESPN, nonstop. But why bother speaking, spitting the truth out when we can <laughs> generate conversation here just like, like they did the other night? I would rather fan the flame a little bit, and that's what we're going to do here on the Sunday edition of the ESPN College Football Podcast. Going in, let's start with Cincinnati. Uh, you brought them up. You brought up Oresco. Uh, they were the site of college game day. They had the national attention all to themselves because after Tuesday, like my good buddy, Joey Galloway, he was out there screaming that it was being six was disrespectful. And, and Cincinnati continues to be overlooked by the committee. And I would combat people saying, okay, I get it. The Notre Dame win is good. But since when is one game on your schedule make you a playoff team? And then you have Navy's a one loss, a one win team. That's a one possession game to Lane and then Tulsa. I thought, Paul, Cincinnati doing what they did Saturday, which was really being lucky that they got out of there with a win. I find that doing them doing that against Tulsa, the worst possible time for Cincinnati to play a game like that after complaining all week about the ranking that they got attached to their name. Yeah. I mean, they, they were a, a millimeter of a, of a, of a inch. I, I didn't do a good job of describing what a millimeter <laughs> of an inch is, but I don't really care. Everybody knows what I'm talking about here. I mean, they, they were uh, a hair away from having to watch a two point conversion to tie the game. And I mean, Cincinnati fans are just getting annoying. It's, excuse me, let me correct myself. It's not Cincinnati fans. I don't mind them. 
It's the acolytes who beat the drum for them. Some work at this network, by the way. And, you know, they, they got it. They, it blew up in their face. I don't really want to hear about it. I don't think they have a path in. Really don't care if they do or not. Uh, they, they've had opportunities to impress. When you're Cincinnati, you have to go out there every week and, and, and dominate or at least show, show, like you, show, show up like you care. You had college game day on your campus. Be ready for the game. Uh, perform. And instead, they, 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 they looked like everybody else in college football yesterday. They, act, they, they acted like they were Alabama or Ohio State. So it's a good point. Two things with that. One, I would agree. I love Cincinnati fans. Now, they, they love the attention. They are the ones that say, hey, just let us in. Pay attention to us. And I understand why they feel that way. But I'm with you. It's the people that are banging the drum that are using one argument against Oklahoma. Oh, they don't beat inferior opponents. Oklahoma should be pummeling Kansas and they should be pummeling Nebraska and some of these bad teams. Yeah. Well, if you're top four team, Cincinnati should be destroying Tulane, Tulsa and Navy. So you can't use one for one and against the other. And Matt, there is an agenda behind every one of these people. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, that that's how that argument base goes. And, but I said it last night. I don't remember if I said it in the pregame show for Alabama LSU or during one of the times we were on TV yesterday, but I, I said about maybe this college football final that the one thing, the only thing that Cincinnati has going for it Sunday morning after the first weekend of November in the college football playoff ranking Saturday is that you just said it. Cincinnati didn't look great. Alabama didn't look great. Michigan State got flat out beaten by Purdue. A lot of the top ranked teams, Ohio state wasn't great against Nebraska. So this collection of top six teams, Paul didn't look good except Matt, Georgia. Uh, other than Michigan state, which, which will move down. Everything else really was about the same. Uh, everyone lived down to expectations and you, know, you can obsess over any one of those games uh, maybe maybe get give or cut Oregon a little more slack they played in a monsoon so I'll, I'll, I'll cut them that but <laughs> but yeah you know, I mean Ohio State was I, I think I, I I mistakenly said this earlier I said Ohio State was impressive on the road I mean they were impressive against what a six seven lost team but, but i mean we, we've just now can we're conditioned but yeah yeah well the alabama game i, I will never figure out um because i i thought there would be motivation uh but i forgot it was two years ago that that edo beat them and embarrassed them and and humiliated them and they beat they beat lsu by 38 last year and i think some of us leading in myself included Matt, we, did, we acted like that, that did not happen it did happen and it didn't matter whether LSU had uh, a healthy team or a bunch of walk-ons. They were going to compete. And I loved Ed Ogeron after the game saying, we should have won this ball game. Well, yeah. you, didn't, you didn't, Ed. It would have been one of the strangest wins in college football history of, of a guy who got fired after beating Florida and then beats Nick Saban. Can, that game, 28-and-a-half point spread, Alabama the favorite. Herbie and Fowler on the call, ESPN primetime. You know, Jesse, Joey, and I are in studio. We're like, oh, we got the Alabama LSU game. Yeah, well, it's going to be a blowout. So you're looking at that evening window, and no one's really turned on by Oregon and Washington because, quite frankly, Washington's just not good, and Oregon's not the sexiest team right now. And so you're kind of waiting for something to happen in the primetime window. Ball kicks, a little back and forth. Alabama goes up 20-7. to 7. 
And like we typically do with the Crimson Tide, once they get up 20 to seven, you think, oh, here we go. Foot on the throat. Goodbye, Ed. Great series with Alabama. Uh, go enjoy your millions. But Max Johnson fought. LSU fought. And I will say this about Ed O'Geron, no matter what the critique is of him, and there are plenty. When his team decides that they want to play for him and rally around him and suit up for LSU's Ed Ogeron, Paul, these guys will fight. The problem is those efforts, a la Florida, well, that we'll get to them in a minute. It's mm, too, it's too in between with what we see out of them. Either they look great or they just don't look like they belong. And I think that was the ending problem for Ed Ogeron. All of this is to say, this team fought because they knew how much it meant to the program and to their head coach. Yeah, it, it was very impressive. And conversely, uh, if we don't think college football players know what the betting line is, then I offer you the Alabama LSU game as an example. They knew exactly what the number was. They knew that everyone around them thought it was going to be a blowout. And they just, you know, they played down to expectations. And that, that's happened a couple of times this year. So if you want to officially worry about this Alabama football team, go ahead. Uh, because, uh, you know, it, it, yes, they, they normally have a bad game somewhere in there, but they've had a bunch of bad games this year. And that is a terribly uh, distressing signal if you're going to go ahead and say, well, Nick Saban's our coach. You know, we are Alabama, and we'll roll into uh, Tuscaloosa in two weeks against Arkansas, Auburn in three weeks, and then beat Georgia and be back in the playoffs. It's not that easy. No, and the fact that Max Johnson had an opportunity end of the game to go down there because the missed extra point. Think about that. We're talking about the most remedial type of victory for LSU. If they go score the touchdown and kick the extra point, this thing's over 21-20 unless Alabama had a chance to go down the field. But it was just another example on a Saturday, and I – I wonder this, Paul, we've kind of just been cruising along. We're through 10 weeks. Anything that was attached to any of these schools going into Saturday was the Associated Press ranking, you know, the coaches poll, which is the SID poll. But that's the only rankings attached to these teams. I wonder if what we saw Saturday was the first time that these teams actually grasped what was at stake? Michigan State wasn't on anyone's radar a month ago. They were the third-ranked team in the country. Oregon, Oklahoma State, you finally got an idea of what was at stake if you were one of these top 10 teams based on the college football playoff rankings. Matt, the Michigan State game was, was the easiest to predict. Uh, that was the, the classic hangover against a you know, pretty good team that had already beaten some teams already. But yeah, the Big Ten is just you – know, being number two or three in the Big Ten this year has, has, been, a, has been a jinx. Uh, there, there's a lot of participants. But I, I think we're you – know, if you're a Michigan State fan, you can argue it's not over yet. I would argue it's over. Yeah, they have. They, they, look, we, we build the uh, Big Ten West round robin, uh, which is still at stake. Michigan State's going to fall out of the top, I would guess, six. I would bet they'd probably be down at about eight. But when you look at Purdue, Purdue goes to Ohio State next week. That's 3.30 Eastern ABC. Purdue has already taken down Iowa, who at the time was number two. I don't think they're going to be – I mean, they barely skated by Northwestern yesterday. But 
based on the rankings, they've taken down number two, they've taken down number three, and they've got number five coming up next week at the shoe. Of all the years where I we could expect something crazy to happen, this is it. Because every week we say that there isn't a great matchup, something pops, and it's going to provide itself answers again. And I just don't know, other than Georgia, who you can hang your hat on. Is that good or bad for college football that is the dogs and just everybody else? I think it's good. Uh, and and I think the historians will write, uh, maybe sooner than later, that this year is in many ways a reaction to last year. And you know, it was more noticeable early on where, where players were unfamiliar with the big crowds and they were not reacting. And now I just think it's, it's, it's literally mass chaos. I think you're having a lot of effects of the portal. Uh, injuries, uh, I can't remember as many players out for games as, as this year. These are all things that we can figure out some other time, but it, it, is, it has created a lot of chaos. And there's, there's interestingly one super team, we've had that before, it's yep. usually Alabama or Clemson. And I thought on top of all that, it was noteworthy that the uh, surprising no one that the ACC was officially eliminated from the playoffs yesterday for really the first time since 2012, even in 13 before the playoff, Florida State played for the title and won. Yep. And it's, it's, it's something to note because that, that league has, uh, has had a run in. And I, and I find it ironic that Wake Forest, which would not have survived, but lost a non-conference game to North Carolina. They, they could have played Liberty uh, Saturday uh, and saved Hugh Freeze the aggravation of going to Oxford, but instead they played North Carolina and they paid for it. Yeah, it, it, for those that are wondering, it was not. Wake Forest still remains a perfect 5-0 in conference play. What they did was both North Carolina and Wake Forest agreed to fill holes in their non-conference schedule with each other so from they did this in 2019, and then they did it this year in 21 to fill a schedule of a non-conference hole, which is why yesterday was non-conference. And why is it that the ACC just kind of slides by? We don't really hear any yelling or screaming out of them about disrespect. It's been a Clemson league since, what, 2013, 2014? 14, if, Clemson, 15. If, if Clemson's not a factor, neither is the ACC. What's interesting, though, is that the, the games are really exciting. I, I flipped around. I was watching a bunch of them yesterday. And, you know, Miami, uh, there was Clemson. I mean, they've, they've had some really good games. It's a, it's a, it's a fun league to watch. But uh, we won't be talking about them again. For a power five that's had some good playoff success with one team, you're right. I mean, they go by the wayside. ACC's out of it. SEC still has the two-team conversation. Big Ten still has to figure their stuff out. And the Big 12, I'm here to tell you, Baylor is, is not going to make you stop in your tracks and say, ooh, Baylor football. They're no longer in the conversation. They got beat yesterday by TC, which, by the way, remarkable win for the Frogs, getting their first win without Gary Patterson as head coach since November of 2000. But the Big 12, they will – in the next couple of weeks, sneak up on everyone as maybe the most entertaining conference to come down to the end. Just watch. Yeah, they have a lot of a lot of really good games ahead, and you know we, we really don't even have the time to figure out Texas this morning because that, that program has just hit the iceberg. But uh, Bedlam is going to be incredible. 
as it usually is. Oklahoma is, is the disrespected team. If you talk about disrespect, uh, that's the team that, that, that should be complaining. But, but they have it in front of them. And uh, you're right. Uh, while we don't talk about the ACC, we will talk a lot about the Big 12. Let's dive in to a couple of things that I know are near and dear to Paul Feinbaum's heart because there are several of these stories out there on a Sunday morning after. We had, a couple of weeks ago, talked about Dan Mullen and the Florida Gators and how they had kind of hit a little bit of a slump. And what Florida did yesterday in Columbia, to me, was probably the most surprising outcome of anything that took place on Saturday. Because when you just line up roster against roster, Shane Beamer is in a complete gut and rebuild. Florida's in year four of Dan Mullen. For that to happen on the road in Columbia, the manner with which it did in a final score of 40 to 17, Paul, that, that's, that's a problem. It's a serious problem, Matt, and you know, everyone's heard the numbers uh, since the LSU game last year, you know, what, what Dan Mullen has done against Power Fives, and it, it, it's, 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 it's really embarrassing. But I think, I think we have to quit prefacing every conversation by saying Dan Mullen is an extraordinary coach, and Dan Mullen is this, and Dan Mullen. That doesn't matter anymore. He's at the University of Florida, and this program has capsized. Uh, it, it has now. Yes, I know there's losses against Alabama and Georgia, but those aren't the losses that we're talking about right now. We're talking about losing to Kentucky, which is also going the wrong direction. We're talking about the LSU loss, but we're really talking about this loss, Matt. Uh, there's, no, there's, no re, there's, no, there's no explanation for it. You know, if you lose a heartbreaker on a 53-yard field goal, okay, we can say the other team got lucky. I mean, this team was well, this team, the Florida team, didn't even show up for the second half. And Mullen tried to, you know, you know, solve solve the wound by saying we had a bunch of players out with the flu, a bunch of players. South Carolina was, I, th I think, down to a a transfer from St. Francis at quarterback. That, yeah, that's I couldn't even. Yeah, the Doty was out. Zeb Nolan was out. We were trying to figure it out in studio. Like, well, who the hell's left to play quarterback for South Carolina? So the question now is, you know. What is, what is Scott Strickland going to do down there? Uh, remember, Strickland was Dan Mullen's AD at Mississippi State. He hired him. He hired him because Chip Kelly and Scott Frost turned it down. And I think they have a serious problem there because you really are going to have a difficult time selling Dan Mullen now as a, a long-term coach at the University of Florida. You know, so does he do what everybody does? Fire Todd Grantham, make coach. I, I mean, is that is making is making assistant coaching changes going to overcome the fact that they have five losses? They still have a game uh, at Missouri and against Florida State. And I would I would have told you yesterday they'll win both games. I wouldn't begin to tell you that right now. So uh, there's a lot of speculation that Dan Mullen's been looking around. Uh, with a, for an NFL job. I don't know if he can get one or not, Matt. Uh, and, and I don't know what uh, Tim Tebow told me on the set Saturday. Well, you know, if you fire Dan Mullen, I mean, who are you going to hire? Well, I, I don't know. But, I mean, they are, they are at a crossroads right now that they, if you fire Mullen, you, you then have to compete with Southern Cal 
at, yep. at LSU and, and countless other uh, places and, and maybe not improve your product or, or stay the course and have Dan Mullen on the hottest seat in America beginning next football season? It is so tough to answer that question. Tim's right because I've been dealing with it on a much different scale. I'm not sitting here saying that that Arizona State and Florida are the same program. It's not even close. But with what was going on in Tempe last week with Washington State, everyone had the pitchforks out for Herm, screaming and yelling and firing. Fire and fire, but it hasn't worked. When those people that are typically doing that don't know what's going on inside the program. My answer to all of that, to everyone, and it's a question. I always come back at people with that same question. Tim came back with you. Well, who do you want? Who are you going to get? We've become so reactionary in college football that the second something doesn't go right, abandon the coach, abandon the coach without thinking about who's going to replace him. Who do you, we're running out of coaches. I can't tell you if there's another, the, the problem with Florida is they hit lightning in a bottle with Urban Meyer. They did. Rare, rare is the day, Paul that you watch a coach nowadays go from Bowling Green, builds Bowling Green, Utah, builds Utah, before Pac-12 Utah, and then is ready for a place like the Swamp in Florida. And Urban Meyer's career trajectory just hit its zenith when it was at Florida, obviously before he went to Ohio State. Paul, those don't happen much anymore. That's going to be a hard thing to find or get. And they thought they have it and had it in Dan Mullen. Yeah. And this has been coming. Uh, there, there were signs last year that things were not right. And Dan Mullen ended up getting a show cause. And you know, it's just that the problem down there um, among other, among all problem, other problems is that Mullen has, has been his own worst enemy uh, in public. But that's not really the issue now. The issue is they have to make a hard decision. And if I'm sure Scott Strickland has thought about a replacement. You can't help but think about it. Uh, but but it, it seems unlikely that that happens because of, of what this conversation really is about. And you know, if you fire Mullen and then you get stuck you know, bringing in somebody that just doesn't look the part, uh, and you've got, and you're in a league now where two guys that were, let's be honest, uh, they were not slam dunk hires. Shane Beamer at South Carolina and Josh Heupel at Tennessee, both are doing very well right now in their first year with inferior talent. So you've got to really be careful. And th this is now topic number one uh, in the, in the SEC. I called Louisiana's game against Georgia State on Thursday, and. You have a nice relationship with Billy Napier, head coach of Louisiana. He's one of those guys that always comes up for jobs. Yep. I don't I don't think Billy's going to get the LSU job. I don't think Scott Woodward is one of those ADs that's interested in finding a coach that's, you know, to use our term, kind of working his way through uh, smaller market TV to get to network, which in this case, yep. network would be LSU. I just don't think he's interested in that type of thing. I do believe that if Justin Fuente, you talk about, jobs are going to be open. I think Virginia tech with Justin Fuente has a good chance of being open. I think that would be a good fit for Napier, but he's probably that guy. If I was looking at that next up and coming coach where someone would look at him and say, okay, there's the guy 
there, there's the young up and coming ball play wizard that we could bring in here and maybe rebuild this thing. He would be it. If I'm looking across the country for someone that has proven that they can get it done. And so I don't, man, the, the, I work with a Gator and Jesse Palmer. You work with a Gator and Tim Tebow. You work with maybe the, the, the greatest Gator of all time. And it's tough to watch when these players go out there. And I don't want to spend this entire podcast in the Florida Gators, but this it, 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 it's really surprising to me. No, there's no getting around it. And I, I, I these, these are things that I, I live in these waters, uh, Matt, as you well know. And, you know, sometimes it's a, you know, with, with Ed O, it was, it was an easy, that was easy to figure out. It, it was, there was something wrong. Didn't matter what happened two years ago. This is much more complex. And if pundits like me are having a hard time with it, I can imagine that the administration there is struggling even more because they're, they're far, far, far more pragmatic about things than, than a talking head on TV is. So I think they, 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 they stay the course. They, they watch the, uh, they watch the winds down there and just hope it doesn't get worse. Although it's, it really is hard to imagine it, it, it getting worse than it is. It, it feels like this is rock bottom for the Gators. And you're right. A lot of times when a rock bottom happens to any program across the country, we saw with Edo uh, at LSU, you fire the coordinators. You try to bring in an infusion of new coaching ideas and philosophies and systems. And does this guy's scheme work for the talent that I have in the roster? Maybe that'll infuse some energy, but at the end of the day, the head coach is still the head coach. I, we get to this time of year and it happened early this year because, because USC pulled the trigger week two on clay Helton. And we are at the beginning now, because once you hit November, Paul, you know who your team is. You hit that for, if you're not one of these playoff teams, these top, let's call it 12, you figure out real quick, who you are, what you have. And now you're going to start seeing some of these decisions get made across the country. And to me, it just takes away the excitement of the end of the season. Cause instead of talking about the football, which obviously we can control, you have to talk about these coaches that are inevitably, inevitably going to be coaching for their jobs. Yeah, that, that is true. And, and I don't know, I, I think right now we're just waiting, Matt, to see, you know, what, what, what else is going to happen? But, but yeah, I think you have to watch Florida. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know uh, how many other positions, but, but I think what, what's going to happen here is but it's, it's the trickle-down effect. It's, if James Franklin leaves, uh, what happens? Yeah. Uh, but but I, I think we'll close the conversation on Mullen by saying it's – as of today, and I use that, he's probably going to remain, but I, I, I would not put all my chips on that right now. That's how, that's how fluid the situation is. That wraps up our portion of the Gator Bait conversation here on the ESPN <laughs> podcast on a Sunday. Sorry if you're a Gators fan and you had to go through that, but the truth hurts when your program is proud as the Florida Gators. There were two teams that when the rankings came out on Tuesday, I typically don't swim in the waters of 15 down in the rankings. I should because it's part of my job, but I typically focus on 15 up just for the playoff purposes, New Year's Six, things of that nature. But I did do a dog head tilt at two rankings when they came out. Mississippi State, 17th. Minnesota, 
20th. I, if I was a committee member, would have ranked Houston instead of one of those teams. I probably would have thrown in a Louisiana who's got one loss on the season and it was to Texas in week one. I would have ranked some of these teams from the American and other conferences around the country. But Minnesota somehow gets in after, to me, one of the most inexplicable losses of the season early on when they lost to Bowling Green 14 to 10. And then Mississippi State, who had already had three losses. And then yesterday, it kind of takes care of itself because Minnesota loses to Illinois 14 to 6. And then now Mike Leach has an open kicker tryout because his kicker missed a field goal and they go down to Arkansas. Hey, Matt, I'm glad you brought that up. And I think football coaches have watched Mississippi State. I'll, 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 I'll leave Minnesota to you and, and have seen the potential <laughs> of, a good, of a good team there. But I want, I want to address Leach here for a second. Leach is funny. He's, he's, he's a kind of an irreverent guy. And I've always liked him. And personally, when you talk to him, he's, he's different than any coach. And I, I felt terrible, and I know how you feel about college kickers. But when he came out and said what he did, funny, cute headline, but what type of message does that send to his team when he throws that guy under the bus? Which, again, I, I understand the frustration. They had, they, they had a good chance. All they have to get, the 40-yard field goal should, should be made. Yes, but but I, I I just cringe when he said that. I know he was going for the quick laugh, but he really did bury that guy, and you wonder how that's going to trickle down. I'll read you the quote. He said, "Announce this. There's an open tryout in our campus for kickers. Anybody that wants to kick or walk on and kick at Mississippi State." We'll hold a tryout anytime you can get over there to our building, providing you're cleared by the NCAA. It does send a message to that one guy, to that one player who already feels awful that he missed the kick, that it's all on him. And Leach does. He has this way about him that, People tend to ignore because he is funny and he does all the pirate stuff and he talks about Halloween candy, but yeah, that that's a bad look. But okay, then, so Matt, let me, let me, let, let's, let's think about highly respected coaches in college. Football. Okay. Yep. And, and I mean, let, I mean, let's talk about who the best coaches are in the game and, you know, Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, Ryan Day. Herbie. Kirby, Jimbo Fisher. Can you imagine any of them uh, after a tough loss throwing their kicker under the table like that? Not like that. Not, not, no, I can't. I, I really can't either. Um, and to me, uh, I want, I I really, it, it, it really rubbed me the wrong. I mean, I must, I will say, as I heard it, I started to snicker because it's the pirate saying it. And then I started to think uh, of watching that game like you did. And, and watching the other team come over and, and console the guy and his own teammates. And by the way, Mike Leach chose that guy to be the kicker. I didn't choose him. Uh, yeah, he replaced Brandon Ruiz. Yeah. It was Nolan McCord, so, yeah. So, 
I mean, you know, they have kicking issues. A lot of teams have kicking issues. But that's a coaching that, – that's what the coach – the coach hires special teams coaches to find the best kicker. Uh, and, yeah, I've, I've heard that line used before, but – yeah, but yeah, you know, maybe after a win. But I mean, Nick Saban blew an Iron Bowl two years ago on a missed kick. He blew an Iron Bowl in twenty the the kick six game on a on a missed field goal uh, earlier in the game. Not even the the one that that brought back the hundred nine yard touchdown. And frustration is is fine. But it, this is a team game, and ultimately he's the one that makes five million dollars a year to to find the players that should play on Saturday kickers man like i watch 12 games a window on saturday 12 games so you do the noon window the 330 window the seven window so 12 times three is 36 plus the really late games on the west coast i'm probably on in front of my face every saturday during 15 hours i probably have about 40 games that i watch i see missed kicks in every window that are excruciatingly bad college kickers struggle we have fun with it because it's become a thing college kickers but i'm not the head coach i'm not the leader and so this just puts ah, i don't know it i'm with you it's a tough look yeah i i just i mean i i, I know we're to, it's a painful loss uh and, and i respect leach as a coach but I think this is one time that Leach was trying to be a comedian and he ought to go back to talking about candy corn because I, I think it's an embarrassing look and I, I really am curious what other players on that team and their parents, and I'm not trying to be the good old guy. That's not me. You know that, Matt. Uh, and, and I wonder what, how this trickles down because if you're thinking about, uh, yeah, I want to go play for Mississippi State, uh, you, you may get called out by your head coach in, in a way that embarrasses you and your family. Yeah, and we've seen, look, we've seen Saban get to a podium and call out his team. He keeps it team-focused, and he'll rip the team through the media, which a lot of coaches do that. We saw Brett Bielema do it the earlier in the year, and they responded with a win against Penn State. But I'm with you on that one. So I think that's a good segue to do this. I think we would agree that Dan Mullen and Mike Leach had the two not-so-great coaching performances yesterday. Who stood out to you? Who had the best coaching performance on Saturday? Well, there's... <laughs> I think Brahma Purdue, uh, you know, was going to get my award. I, I just, I, I've always been a fan of him. Uh, I'm, I was surprised he didn't go back to Louisville a couple of years ago, but I think he indicated uh, yesterday that, that he, he is made, he's making a difference. And, and I, I mean, come on, that, we could go through the, the nation finding tough spots to win, but oh. West Lafayette, that, that is, that is brutal. And, and I give Jeff a lot of credit. Yeah. For me, I would look at, Paul Christ at Wisconsin, they have put everything together, Wisconsin has. And you want to know what it looks like when you play an inferior opponent? Look at that score, 52-3, to three, Wisconsin over Rutgers. They've now won five straight. They're running the ball. Graham Mertz is looking the part. That Big Ten West with Wisconsin, they're all tied at 4-2 and two in the Big Ten West. That includes Purdue. I would give my Saturday game ball to, to Paul Christ because – you want to know the difference between fan bases that get fired up week in and week out and fan bases that just wait 
Now, granted, I'm not dialed into Wisconsin football week in and week out of what they're, they're saying, but they trust their head coach, Paul. They trust that Paul Christ is going to get the job done. And now they're sitting here in a great spot to win the Big Ten West. And so hats off to Paul Christ, what he's been able to do and to kind of weather the storm in an early part of the season that wasn't bad. So there's a couple of coaching things. Give me give me the one player that you believe had had the Saturday that, that's the reason their team won. Wow. Um uh, I'm going Will Anderson at, at Alabama. He's great. Well, I, I don't know. I, without him, I, I think they're losing to LSU. And uh, I I just, I mean, he was so good. And everyone else uh, across the board, especially offensively, was so average. And I know, it's, you know, I'm going for one of the top players in the country. But, 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 but he is just downright nastier these days. You know who I'm proud of is – Sam Howell, Tyson Chandler, and North Carolina. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. They came in top 10 team, haven't played well, lost a lot of games. They came out, they were down 14 late yesterday, and Mac Brown gets a huge win against Wake Forest. That's an example. What have we said all, all year? NIL, transfer portal all this stuff regarding players and their commitment. Those are two guys that Sam Howell, Tyson, Ch Ty Chandler, those guys, good win for them because they had an opportunity to just fold up and they didn't. And so I was very impressed uh, with both of those guys uh, yesterday with what they were able to do and get a win and kind of get that season rolling again for Mac Brown. Now five and four in the season, big one Thursday night against Pitt on ESPN. Before we get out of here, we're going to write the headline in a minute. I didn't touch on this topic with you because I'm fascinated to hear your thought was yesterday's game against Missouri that cracked window to integrate JT Daniels back into the offense to eventually make the move. Yes, it was. Um, and it, 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 it was the only, it was, it was a necessary opportunity. You knew it was going to happen. You knew that's, you know, Georgia gives up three or six points a game or seven, depending on the opponent or 10, uh, but but you, you knew this was really the last chance because I'm not going to try to sell you this game nationally. I'll leave that to CBS. But suddenly Georgia at Tennessee is an interesting game. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's particularly interesting because Tennessee – is can recklessly score with, with Hendon Hooker. Uh, and, I mean, <laughs> it is so well put. It is the best I've heard them put. They recklessly score. Their defense is really poor, but in terms of, but but it doesn't matter. Uh, this is what Tennessee bought bought in Josh Heupel, and they're getting it. And the the fact that they're getting a marquee game in November. Uh, when, when was the last time uh, in Knoxville? Yeah. I mean, we could we could sit it. We could do a whole podcast on Heupel and what he's done with a depleted yeah. roster and NCAA sanctions, but we won't. But you're right. I I'm interested to see how the JT thing progresses throughout the year because I don't know. Look, Stetson Bennett's been good. Does anyone think that they can make a run through Alabama in the SEC championship with Stetson? I don't know. Mm, JT's no, the guy. No. He's the, he's the talented guy in terms of well, like yeah, five star. Yeah. The Alabama team that played last night, they could. Absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, but that's not going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen uh, in, in the championship game. But, yeah, I, I think Georgia needed that. And, and I think Kirby, he, after the, as the second half, as the first half ended against Florida, he knew he didn't have to play JT Daniel. And I think he was wise to keep him out. Yep, I agree. 
right. The headline. All right. Right. The headline time. I'm going to give you next week. I'm doing this based on the rankings that are attached to the team. Now they will change by Tuesday, but going into the week 11. Oak. We'll give Penn state some love Michigan, Penn state, Oklahoma, Baylor, Mississippi state, Auburn, Georgia, Tennessee, Purdue, Ohio state. I know you're pumped for Minnesota, Iowa, Texas, A&M, Ole Miss, NC state, Wake Forest, write the headline for next week, which has a lot of good matchups. Yeah, there really are. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to zero in on Texas A&M for a second. They got a commitment from the number one player in the country. There's still rumors, by the way, I was in college station over the weekend that Jimbo is talking to uh, LSU, but I I will tell you, I I don't, I don't believe that Uh, after being there. I just cannot imagine. No, uh, I'm with you. I don't, I don't buy it. But if A&M go, I'm going to give you a crazy one. Just go. A, A&M still alive in the college football playoff. They need help. Go on. If A&M beats Ole Miss. Yes. And, and finishes the, the job against LSU later in the season and Alabama stumbles and Alabama has Arkansas and Auburn, then Look at look at the standings in the SEC West, yep. and is it crazy to believe that that a, I, and I'm I'm going long on my headline, <laughs> but there is no such thing as headlines anymore. Uh, you know, a, let's say A&M gets to Atlanta and wins, they will have a, they have two bad losses. I'll, I'll agree, Arkansas and Mississippi State, but their wins are over Alabama, number one in the country, and Georgia, number one in the country. You're right. It, uh, they need an Alabama miss and to keep on winning, they could get in that SEC title game against Georgia. And then who knows? A, uh, A&M is one of those teams that I just want to shake for losing to Arkansas the way that they did or Mississippi state, the way that they did. It just makes no sense now. No. Cause, and, and by the way, all of you out there who, who want to say, well, Alabama lost to an unranked team. Let, let's take that one out of the equation because A&M is, is a legitimate team. they, it's really the Mississippi State game that cost them. The Arkansas game, and, and it's worth remembering that they, they've done all this without their starter, Haynes King, and they, they did a lot of it uh, Saturday without uh, their, their number two guy, Calzada. Yeah, Calzada. Well, they, yeah. Jimbo Fisher is earning his – well, I don't know if he's earning the $10 billion a year, but <laughs> <laughs> he's at least justifying it. To, to quote the late, great Denny Green, Texas A&M is who we thought they were, and uh, we'll see if anyone will let him off the hook. My headline – going into the weekend it's going to be big 12 bedlam and i'm not talking about oklahoma oklahoma state i think this weekend baylor has a good chance to get oklahoma coming off a bye i think it's going to be good i think it's going to be close tcu oklahoma state watch the big 12 i'm telling you they've been tossed aside it's a round robin in that league so someone's going to have to play someone twice Keep an eye on the Big 12 because it is about to be the best conversation uh, leading down the way in the final month. Is is Texas back? Well, probably (laughs) not. We're going to have to we're going to have to leave the the monkey gate and all of that for everybody to discuss. (laughs) So Sark can get that figured out. 
Uh, so for Paul Feinbaum, I'm Matt Barry. Another remarkable week in a college football. Quick reminder, Baldman on campus, a new ESPN podcast hosted by Jay Billis, Alfonso Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. ESPN basketball personalities give you an all-access pass inside the world of college basketball. Talking to the biggest names in the sport, Baldman on campus. Listen wherever you get your podcast. Paul, here we go. We are in the teeth of what's going to be fun. Can't wait to do this again with you next week. Thanks, Matt. A pleasure. Oh, quickly, a tradition. Where's SEC Nation going? Can we announce that on the pod? Yeah, uh, why not? Because uh, we're heading to Knoxville, of all places, for the Georgia game. The the uh, the alma mater of one Paul Feinbaum. Vol Navy's going to be great. Can't wait to watch it. <laughs> Good stuff, Paul.